The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets. Our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the world's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your very own smartphone. Keep listening for details on an upcoming special event later on in the show, as well as a special discount that you're not going to believe. Find out more at sciencediv.com. Science Division, Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Andy Robinson, Elam Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would not sit well with the Obsidian Order. From the Time Travel Division at Podfleet Command, located on the 47th floor of the building. Because where else would you put the Time Travel Division? It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, ladies, gentlemen, children of all ages, and welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. So glad that you're here for episode number 234. (laughs) It's kind of neat how that happened. Yeah. 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 Um. (laughs) We're going to talk about probably the episode that, in a way, started it all, but it took 30, 20 years for it to actually ever be seen by Star Trek fans. More about that later. My co-host and I are going to talk about it, and of course, that means I have to introduce him now. <laughs> if, um, if the Telosians ever captured him and put him in a cage, I would pay them anything just to keep him there. I really would. I'd stay. And I would hope that they would create an illusion that was just me talking endlessly to drive him insane. That must be happening now. <laughs> he's the he's the largely uh, largely zooified Dan Davidson and Dad. Um, it's going to be a great discussion on this one, buddy. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Yeah, me too, man. Thanks for the introduction. It's always great to be here. Uh, two, three, four. Nicely done. Thank I'm, you. I'm glad you can count. Um, uh, it's always it's always good to see you making strides. So One. congratulations on that. Yeah. Singular sensation. Absolutely. Two. That's exactly what you are. Uh, stop. Just three. Okay. Oh. <laughs> no, it's, it's great to be here. You're right. We have been looking forward to this conversation for a while, and I love how you pitched it to me uh, when we decided we were going to do this. We'll get more into what's so special about it later on. But yeah, like you said, we're going to talk about the episode that really kind of started it all, but we didn't see it in its entirety 
for a really long time. And it's the very first Star Trek episode that had ever uh, been created by Gene Roddenberry. And that, of course, is The Cage. So we're going to deep dive into The Cage today. We're going to have a lot of fun doing it. A lot of opinions, a lot of stories, a lot of, uh, lot of cool things. And just maybe I can figure out how to make that noise that the Telosians make whenever they go in those doors, and then we'll be all happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's amazing to think uh, this week we're going to talk about the cage. Next week we're going to talk about yeah. Um, if memory serves, if, if you think about it in these terms, fifty-four years between the episode and its follow-up. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty amazing. So that's what's so cool about what we what 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 I mentioned before about how yeah. we how you pitched this to me is that we were going to do a deep dive of this, and then next week a deep dive of the other Pike Vena episode. So I can't wait for the next two weeks, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, uh, it really is. So that's the uh, the cage coming up in the mirror moments. Coming up now, Dan is going to tell you how you can get in touch with us if you feel so inclined. Yes, we we'd love you to incline. I don't or know recline. Like, recline to have a good time. I, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, you can get in touch with us a whole, whole bunch of ways. Uh, we get so much feedback from uh, Trek Geeks listeners. People discover the podcast every single day, which we absolutely love. And even so, even more, we love hearing from you. You can send us an email. You can leave us a voicemail. You can chat us up. You can tweet at us. All kinds of methods to get us your comments, your feedback, your suggestions. And it all starts by going to trekgeeks.com slash contact. Plus, don't forget that our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer, is the most positive Star Trek group on Facebook. There's no trolling. There's no gatekeeping. Only people celebrating what they love about Trek. You can find us there, too, along with a community of over 1,800 Star Trek Trek fans who spread the ideals of IDIC every single day. So fire up that Prodigy or that AOL or your modem uh, and head on over to Faceplate and search for Camp Kenimer. Uh, it's 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 really great, and you're going to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And we want to thank our wonderful admins Haley, Jackie, and Dan for the amazing job they do running the camp. But also, please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode, even if it is called Faceplate, which it really isn't, because I was just doing a Bill Belichick impersonation. That's all I'm going to say. Faceplate? Yeah. It's his face place. I know, but I made face plate. I wanted to do a Bill Belichick thing because no, he called you it face space or something once. <laughs> you, How you, you, see, now they wouldn't have known that if you hadn't told me what you wrote in the copy. It was perfect, man. Anybody listening to this show knows Ad blew living it. genius right here. Ad living a hole. <laughs> Dan, here we are, the month of October. I know that in between uh, podcasting and talking about fan sets, you're busy decorating up your house for Halloween because you love doing that. You go all out. But now is the time to stop because a new month means new products and news from fan sets. It does. But I love de- Halloween's our favorite favorite decorating uh, holiday. Yeah, it really is. So come really? on. I, I got an awesome Dracula Scooby-Doo that I got to put up and all my Disney Gym Shore Halloween sculptures. But- all right, I guess I can do this. After all, it is fan sets that we're going to be talking about right now, and, and there's nothing scary about them except blue, but that's a story for another time. Fan sets is not dangerous. Thank there is Okay, I am recording that. That is my new ringtone. Actually, I'm recording it because um, it's oh, a podcast. True. Okay. Uh, yeah, October is a very busy month for our friends over at Fansets. Uh, you can purchase the Star Trek Discovery Lieutenant Bryce micro crew pin, pin right now, as well as the Women of Trek Hoshi Sato pin right now. And also available to pre-order 
as of uh, this week is the special Voyager collector set commemorating the 25th anniversary of the show. Right now. now right now. Go there right now. It's, you know, Don't even listen to us. Just go do it right now. Now, I'm not going to lie. The set is just absolutely gorgeous. It consists of 10 beautiful crew member pins, which come together to form that very recognizable Voyager Delta. And in addition, the Voyager 25 pin that was released earlier this year is also included as a special bonus. Uh-huh. Uh, it comes with a backer board and a black frame, and it looks stunning. Uh, but I'll tell you right now, you need to go pre-order your set right away because they're only making 125 of these sets um, to purchase. And not going to lie, Bill and I have already pre-ordered ours, so there's only 123 left at least, right, buddy? <laughs> Exactly. Uh, in addition to all this great news, you can now pre-order the Lower Decks Delta set. That's right. You can pre-order the full-size badge pin, the magnet-based badge, and a mini badge all at once. You can do that right now, Lower Decks. Plus, you can order your very own Fansets face mask right now at fansets.com. That's a new one. Uh, I'm not kidding. And here's the best part. There's a little pocket on the side of the mask so you can show off your favorite pin right on your face. You heard it right, a Your Face comment during the fanset spot. Gotta love it. And finally, Lou, John, Joe, and the whole team are proud to announce the Fansets Delta program. They're going to be doing full-size Delta pins as well as full-size Delta magnets and mini pin versions of each Delta that they release. Whether a new, Whenever a new Delta is coming out, you're going to have the ability to pre-order them at the beginning of the month, and you are guaranteed to get the product as soon as the first production run is available. Now, Bill, I know that you're probably wondering, but Dan, what about the Deltas that have already been released, like Picard and DS9? But Dan, what about the Deltas that have already been released, like Picard and DS9? Well, I'm really glad that you asked that question, man. Uh, Fansets is going to be coming out with the other versions of those Deltas in the coming months. For example, the Picard badge will be released as a magnet, and the DS9 slash Voyager badge will have its own mini Delta and magnet uh, badge in the near future. That is awesome news. I'm glad we have you here to explain all that to us because I was really wondering about it. Yeah. So listeners, do yourself a huge favor. I mean, come on, go over to fansets.com. When you get there, put a whole lot of pins and accessories, maybe some of those locking pin backs for your mask uh, and even gift certificates into your car. Because when you spend more than 30 bucks, you're automatically going to get free shipping in the US. And then on top of that, for 15% off your entire order at fansets.com, use the special Trekkies discount code for this week, VINA. That's V-I-N-A in all capital letters. This discount code will be available to use from now until Wednesday, October 14th, 2020 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Well, buddy, here we are. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to talk about um, the episode that could have spawned a franchise. Maybe. And of course, awesome. I'm talking about 1965's The Cage. Mm-hmm. It's weird to think that it's been 55 years since that hour of television was shown to network executives. And they ultimately said, meh. <laughs> Cedar skip it. I know. That's, right? that's where it came from. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be honest. I have not seen The Cage in its entirety for a really long time until just this week as we prepared. I've seen The Menagerie a thousand times. I don't know why I never have just really focused in and watched The Cage. And I got to be honest, it's Star Trek and I love it. I'm not surprised. Meh. (laughs) Well, I think that if that hour of television were put before network execs today, I think it would go to series. 
Um, back then, though? No, I'm talking about today. No, no, I know that, but, but back then, dot, dot, because dot. Because the climate is so different. Yeah. There are other shows out there that aren't nearly as good or as thought-provoking as the writing of The Cage that have had way too many seasons. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, 100%. No argument there. Um, the really fascinating thing about this is that Star Trek fans never really saw The Cage I would say in mass because Gene would bring the 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 sixty you know, the uh, the film reels with him on on speaking engagements or whatever. Yeah. But it wasn't widely available in home video until get this nineteen eighty six, and that was a version where the black and white film that was found mm-hmm. was spliced together with the color versions from the Menagerie. Right. And you would go from watching the episode in black and white to the color scenes and it would intersperse throughout the entire episode. And that is how I first saw the cage in 86. I think it was how I saw it also. Um, I collected the um, the VHS uh cassette tape episodes of the original series back in the day. And I remember when that one came out and it was very confusing for the black and white and, and the color. When I watched it on Netflix this week, of course, it's all been colorized um so it's it's much easier to to it it actually was was hard to watch when it it went back and forth from black and white to color um back in the day back in the eight wow 86 good lord well and it wasn't until two until two years later that there was actually a full color version available for the entire viewing Mm -hmm. and that was part of a two-hour special called the star trek saga from one generation to the next (laughs) which was hosted by sir patrick stewart um i vaguely remember this airing in, in syndication. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I watched it when it was on. I was happy to see the, the full color restoration. Um, but you know, it was, uh, it was Star Trek and it was on TV. Ergo, I watched right. it. Yeah. I don't recall that, uh, when it was on. So I don't know if I, if I saw it, I may have, and I've just forgotten about it. Um, there's a lot of things about the cage that are good. There's a lot of things about the cage that aren't so good, but it's definitely, it definitely hits the Star Trek feels right off the bat. Without a doubt. Uh, without a doubt, it does. I, um, it, it's interesting because you can tell it very much it's a pilot. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been watching Star Trek for, for almost half a century, you know, uh, it, ourselves. And you get used to the way things flow. You get used to the cadence from, from Captain Kirk and the, the conversations between Bones and Spock. And so it's a little foreign when you watch The Cage the first time. Spock is younger. Um, Spock is a little more, um, boisterous. Yeah. Boisterous. (laughs) Um, I don't want, I guess I want to say emotional to some extent. Um, but more about that next week, (laughs) but it's definitely a, a crew that, um, has seen some stuff when you, when the cage opens. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's part of the reason I think why Pike is so downtrodden for most of this episode, man. He never smiles. And we'll yeah. get into that later. But right off the bat, of course, they just had that um, awful experience on Rigel. Um, so they're trying to get their wounded uh, to Starbase to get their medical attention that they need. And he's talking about retirement. But right off the bat, it, there's there's gloom on the bridge. And it, that's is that something you want a brand new show to open with? It's kind of a question that maybe they thought it would work to have it sort of like that. I don't know. It's it's. What do you think? You think it was it was good for him to do that, or you think that might have been starting off on the wrong foot, which then builds up to something better? I think it starts off a bit on the wrong foot because you're right. There's no energy. Um, 
it, it's and I, I I put that clearly on the script because I mean Jeff Hunter clearly knows what he's doing on a on a stage. The other actors around him clearly know what they're doing. But um, I feel like that some of these moments are scripted for probably what Gene envisioned to be these grandiose visuals. Mm-hmm. So you know when they say you know enter time warp factor or whatever it is <laughs> seven seven I thought it was seven yeah and uh, all of a sudden the theme starts and you see these stars <laughs> pulsing it over pulsed. the the shot. <laughs> That's like, um, is that supposed to be the warp effect? Uh, what exa- and he's just standing there and looking at the screen. It's like, guys, this is boring television. Yeah. This is not good. Yeah. Um, it's funny. You said there was no energy. The only energy in that first scene on the bridge is Spock with his first line of in Star Trek history. Yeah. Come on. You know you want to say it. No. Check the circuit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You know, and I didn't notice until rewatching it again recently for my franchise rewatch that, uh, you know, the navigator guy has a bandage on his hand. Yes. Um, and one of the guys who comes in, yeah. one of the blue shirts with Spock has a bandage on his neck, which I never yeah. noticed before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Spock I mean, limps. Yeah, Spock limps. Yeah. Um, so, so definitely, you're right. They've seen some stuff. Um, and... I think they're probably overdue for shore leave, but then they get a distress call. And how many episodes of Star Trek have started off with a distress call and Gene made the conscious decision, oh, let's start this this the whole thing off with them responding to somebody in distress. But what I found interesting about that very first scene is that first, Pike's like, nah, we got other things we want to deal with. We don't know they're alive. We're not going to bother. And I'm like, Wow. Picard wouldn't do that. <laughs> Kirk wouldn't do that. Kirk, no. It's like, okay, so he really is in a bad mood. Let's go have a martini. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's funny about the about the bridge. I mean, there's so many different things that we can talk about. We're probably going to go off on tangents left and right because I can't keep a single thought in my brain anyway. But one of the things I found interesting about the bridge was how different – it's the Enterprise bridge, but how different it is from the Enterprise bridge. The um, – the the barriers around the 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 what are those called the banisters I want to call the them. railings the railings thank you they're blue or black and not red um, the door the turbo lift door at one scene is like gray but then in another scene it's silver they're, I think it's the lighting that makes it look silver yeah. I, I kind of thought that might be the case but I thought it was interesting that and of course they have those weird funky things on on necks that they press buttons on and there's the a lot of paper. Yeah. yeah, there's a little paper being spit out everywhere which wasn't supposed to be happening in the 23rd century I thought, but I thought that was kind of funny. The the cage looks pretty anachronistic these days. It looks it really old-fashioned while trying to look futuristic. And I think that I think it looked old-fashioned even in 1965 honestly. Yeah. Um because computer printouts I just don't I don't think would happen. <laughs> um it seems a little weird. Yeah, and it's funny because a couple of scenes, Pike uh, has problems running literally into the yeoman, um, and she's always got a clipboard full of papers, which reports. I found interesting yeah. reports that they change later to be the, the the pad that we're all used to seeing with Kirk and on the bridge later on during the TOS years. They they made a lot of common sense choices for when it actually went to series. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't think that, that those bits with the yeoman worked, quite frankly. No, not at all. Um, I thought it was clumsy. Uh, she's his yeoman. She's going to be on the bridge. Mm-hmm. I mean, and what is everyone doing on the bridge at 5 a.m.? Don't these people sleep <laughs> for crying out loud? The poor guy who stands at the door the whole time and doesn't do a damn thing. <laughs> He's like, somebody give me some coffee. <laughs> I got to run the dunks. <laughs> <laughs> That's in the uh, in the Vega colony. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Chris Pike is a guy who is, well, kind of like a bunch of us right now going through this mm. pandemic. He's weary and he's pessimistic. Oh, big time. And he's not sure he wants to do this anymore. And if you haven't watched The Cage in a long time, I, I would implore you to go back and watch it because I think that the Chris Pike character really kind of um, is demonstrating what a bunch of us or a bunch of, of people are feeling these days, seven months into a global pandemic. I mean, it translates to now, but back then he's a guy who I, I don't know if he should be captaining a starship. We had kind of a similar discussion this week on discovering Trek with Mariner. I don't want to get too much into too much detail, but you got to wonder about the psyche of Starfleet officers at some times and if they're in the right place to be in the position of power that they possibly are, like Captain Pike. I said it to you offline when we were getting ready to, to record this. Until the last, like, two minutes of the cage, he doesn't smile. No. Ever. He is – he is not in a good mood. I understand that in parts of the episode, he has to fill his mind with hate and rage so that he can block the Telosians from reading his thoughts. But even before that happens, he's cantankerous and he's not a nice person. Uh, and he's kind of raising his voice a lot to people. Like he raises his voice to the doctor just because the doctor's saying, oh, okay, so you're just going to go retire to Mojave. Oh, that's one of the places I work. He's just like bites his head off and it's like, Wow. This is, you guys, he's supposed to be his friend, his doctor, his bartender. He just, you're right. He's been through a lot. Um, I'm sure the attack that they had on Rigel is, um, is one of the main reasons. But throughout the episode, I found myself saying he is, he's in a bad place. Now, we see pieces of this a little bit. And if memory serves, or during season two of Discovery, I think that's one of the things that Anson does great is he brings some, he's got so much optimism, yeah. but there are moments where he has those looks, that look in his eye and those feelings about, oh gosh, is this the right thing to be doing? Of course, and one of the things being how upset he was that he was kept out of the war. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Jeff Hunter portrayed a a bad mood captain pretty much for the whole episode. Well, he's a guy who's tired of deciding who lives and who dies. Mm. You know, he's got this awesome burden of responsibility and it's weighed on him uh, greatly. You know, to the point where he doesn't know if he can do it anymore and he's thinking of resigning. And so what are some of the things he comes up with? He could go home mm. or he could become a space pimp. <laughs> he could own slave girls yeah, on some pleasure planet. And I'm like going, wait a second. This is a viable career choice for a retired Starfleet officer? Who would choose that? <laughs> That's only one of the things I thought I would do. <laughs> Speaking of that, he, he, it, it, I found it interesting that he's only responsible for 230? I think five, 203. That 203. That's not a lot of people on this version of the Enterprise. And there seems to be family on this version because in one scene, he's heading towards his quarters and there's two kids walking down the hallway. And beachwear. Yeah. So going to an Annette Funicello show or something. I don't know. <laughs> Beach Blanket Bingo. There you go. <laughs> I used to love that movie when it would appear on Channel 56 on Saturday wow. afternoons after Creature Double Feature. With Uncle Dale? <laughs> no, it was after that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is a very different enterprise. I think that some of these things come back to next gen. The concept of a number one and the concept yep. of families on board the ship, the concept of a different pace of, of life, a less yeah. militaristic Starfleet 
but he's the captain of a ship that has just been through a, you know, a pretty serious conflict on Rigel two weeks before. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a militaristic, you know, feel to what goes on. So I think that, I, I think that Gene had some ideas he had to abandon to take this to series. I, I think he got the chance to do it the right way in, in 87 when he was putting next gen together. Um, but it's interesting to see some of the genesis of these things here. Absolutely. And also it's interesting to see the extreme sexism that uh, was rampant oh back God. in the sixties um, when he runs into the yeoman the first time and he says, sorry, I'm just not used to women being on my bridge. And that's just like an oh my god moment today. And you see number one look up at him, and then he says something like, "Oh, sorry, you know, I don't mean you. You, you're special, or something like that." And she gives him another look. <laughs> um, it's just, yeah, it's oof, it's it's tough to watch sometimes, especially today. Uh yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, well, the fact that let's let's talk about number one since we're here. Um, a more than capable first officer. I think we get mm-hmm. the second half of this episode gives us a better version of number one than you mm-hmm. get in the open of this episode. Yes. Because she looks almost as annoyed as Pike does. Yeah. And and I also like in, in I forget if it's in the middle or uh, it's towards it's in the middle of the episode when they decide what they're going to do. They all look to her because she is now in command. They never say anything, but they look at her and she makes a decision to transfer transfer the giant space gun down to the planet so that they can pretend to blow the door off the building. Um, <laughs> the official Star Trek canon. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, it's, yes, and, and you're right. She does look um, annoyed. And I also like at the very end in a, in a scene that we don't see in Menagerie, so it was kind of new to me to uh, when I watched it this morning. I finished the episode, actually, is when the yeoman asks Pike who he would have chosen for his Eve. And number one snaps right up and says, yeoman, don't you have work to do or something like that? I thought it was kind of interesting that she didn't want to know either. You know, it's interesting here. I mean, the the common myth of the network wanting to eliminate the female first officer is is just that, according to uh, Inside Star Trek, The Real Story by Herb Solo and and Bob Justman, both of whom worked directly on Star Trek. Uh, Herb Solo was the network exec and Bob Justman was uh, one of the producers. And in the book, they said that NBC supported the idea of a strong woman in a leading role. They only rejected Majel because the feeling is that Majel wasn't talented enough to pull off such a role and carry the show as a co-star. Plus, they knew it was Gene's girlfriend at the time. Huh. Um, they also, NBC was not satisfied with the majority of the actors. Um, they wrote, we think you can also do better with the ship's doctor, the yeoman and other crew members. Um, and uh, that really kind of surprises me. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. We hear about how the pilot was too cerebral. Right. You know, how it was, uh, but NBC was also worried about overall eroticism, most notably noting the scantily clad green dancing girls with the humps and grinds, end quote. Um, This was a major factor for not choosing Mud's women, which dealt with an intergalactic pimp selling beautiful women hookers through the galaxy to be the second (laughs) pilot. Um, All that from the solo adjustment book. Um, This is really kind of interesting because I think it kind of emphasizes what you and I are talking about in the general meh quality of the cage as, as if uh, viewing it as, as Star Trek fans or as viewers in general. I don't want to, I don't want to sound like a jerk or anything, but I wouldn't really call what uh, Susan Oliver does in her Orion outfit as humps and grinds. I think they're more to and fro 
<laughs> Sashay. Well, well, in 65, I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, yeah. They're a little yeah. more pent up and puritanical than the networks even are today. But um, it's, it's no Cardi B. No, no, no. So it's interesting to think that that there were a good number of the casting decisions they didn't like. Um, and I guess I have to go back and look. I would assume Gene was responsible for a good chunk of that, probably Gene and Justman and maybe some others. But um, in hindsight, I love the character of number one. And I actually think Majel did a really great job for what she was given to do. Like I said, the second half of that episode, much better for her than the mm-hmm. first part. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and she really is the first lady of Star Trek. I know a lot of people always kind of give that to Nichelle, but when you think about it, it really was Majel. She was the first. She was um, also the first cast. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think she really does it. I, I, I do love how the, I don't know, I don't want to say overacting because it's not, but I just, I can't help but laugh whenever they're on the, whenever we see the scene with the planet and they're firing the official Star Trek cannon and she's yelling at the communicator for more power. And can you give us any more? And her mouth is like, ah. <laughs> and then when she says to disengage, disengage, she doesn't even yell into the communicator. She just yells out loud up in the air. She looks up in the air and yells. I, thought, I always think that's funny. Well, her voice does carry. It does, yeah. <laughs> sort of like yours. Uh, whoa, hey, yeah. let's dial that back, huh? <laughs> um, so I think the most fascinating aspect of this this episode is the whole Pike-Vena relationship. Clearly, Chris Pike is brought to Talos Four or taken captive on Talos Four to kind of be Adam to Vena's Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Talosians need um, um, slaves, <laughs> and they figure who better to start um, a race of those than a swashbuckling, daring starship captain mm-hmm. and the the young woman who's been living there ever since she crashed some years before. Right, and obviously had some surgical issues upon being fixed. Yeah, they didn't quite know how to put her back together. Which doesn't make really sense much sense to me because when, when she changes and you see her in a true form, you know, she's kind of hunched over, she's got this big... Thing on her on her back, kind of Quasimodo-ish looking, and and she says that they they didn't know how to put me back together because they'd never seen a human. Um, Talosian's a humanoid; they got arms and legs. So I was scratching my head when I was watching that scene, saying, "Huh, okay." I don't know why they would put that lump of flesh there when they don't have it, but they got big ass heads. So I don't know. Well, maybe it was they just had never seen the. The, the anatomy and the, the physiology mm. of a human before, especially from a medical sense. That I could believe. Well, okay. Um, uh, but I'm reaching. Yeah, that's a reach. That's a, that's a big reach. <laughs> hey, Bill, our friends at Science Division want to remind everyone about a special event coming up and also a special sale going on right now, right this second. That's right. On Friday, October 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern, Jay and Kaylee will host another of their Tribble Talks, but this time there's also a special trivia event as well. Joining the broadcast is going to be none other than Dr. Trek himself, Larry Nemechek, for a fan panel about Tribbles and their appearances in Star Trek, followed by a Tribble-themed trivia event. Now, this is going to take place on Zoom, and information can be found by heading to sciencediv.com and clicking the Trivia tab in the menu. That is coming right up. And Dr. Trek never disappoints, buddy. Uh, absolutely never does. Uh, it's going to be a fun time and a great evening. So we hope you'll check it out because I got to be honest, the Triple Talk is not dangerous. 
Seriously? Seriously, yes. And uh, by the way, we don't want you to miss out on the Galaxy's first interactive Tribble from Science Division either. You can buy your Tribble right now at sciencediv.com. And when it arrives, you can download the Section K7 app on your iOS or Android phone, give it a name, and even choose what ship it's going to be assigned to. Plus, did we mention there's a special fall sale going on right now at Science Division? For a limited time, Science Division has their Galaxy's First Interactive Tribble on sale for $64, a savings of $5 off. Now, that's amazing to start with, but because you're a Trek Geeks listener, you can save even more. Use the special discount code TALOS at checkout for an additional $5 off your Tribble, bringing the cost down to only $59. That's TALOS, T-A-L-O-S, in all capital letters, for an additional 5 bucks off. This exclusive Trek Geeks discount code is good until Wednesday, October 14th, 2020, at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And hey, don't forget to mark those calendars for Friday, October 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern for the special Tribble Fan Panel from Science Division. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. And we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. Pike and Vina establish a relationship that is really kind of interesting. They want to put the two of them together and Vina is completely on board. She's like, yeah, sweet. I got a friend now. I got someone who I can create a race of humans with. <laughs> and Pike is like, uh, excuse me? Pardon? Yeah. Um, you want to what? It, it said what? And that's when you realize they're in a zoo. But you also got to think that as she admits later, they chose him partly because of what they read in her thoughts is what she wanted in the perfect mate. Right. Um, so – as she said, I can't help but love you because it's exactly what she wanted. They they reached out and found the right guy. So he was a little surprised, but she was all like, yeah. And I think on some level that that there's a part of Pike that that falls for Vina. I mean I agree he, with that. He doesn't really bring that to the surface. He doesn't really show it. Not the way Kirk would after about ten minutes. Right. Um but by the time you get to the end of the episode and you can see that he really cares what happens next for Vina, you can tell that he's got that empathy. And and for me, I think that translates into feelings for her that, you know, if he had had to stay, maybe he could have, you know, been Adam to her Eve. I don't know. I, I think so. I mean, there's the scene when they're in the Mojave with the horses um, where they're talking and he reaches down and grabs her hand and says, if they can read my thoughts, then they know that I'm attracted to you. Ooh, lay it on thick, Chris. <laughs> That's really the only indication that you get yeah. uh, through the whole episode that he has any desire, although he does say that he'll stay with her at the end. Is he doing that just to save the ship or is he doing that for other reasons too? Because I think it's uh, other reasons too. I think you're probably right. I think that he would say it's to save the ship, but I think that deep down inside, because he's he's weary and tired anyway, mm-hmm. um, he, he thinks that this is something he could do and he could be happy doing it with Vina. Um, it, it's, it's number one who decides to put the phaser on overload. Yes, that's right. Um, it's not it Pike. Is. It is. I, I do find it interesting. Oh, God, it's so hard to not talk about if memory serves a little bit while we talk about it. Go ahead. This, it's but fine. I, I it's think fine. we kind of have to. They're not together this that long when you think about it in this episode. This episode does not take a it, – it's not months or weeks. It's, it might not even be days. It may be a very short amount of time. 
But you see the feelings that Pike actually had for Vina if in memory serves, which we're going to talk about next week. That is very apparent. It's very apparent then the feelings that Pike had for Vina that we didn't really see in the cage. And I think that's purposeful. Um, I think that possibly if we look at all of, of Star Trek canon and history and how we expect officers to be, captains never – captains always have to be alone. It's very rare that the captain has a has a wife or, or someone special with them. Um, so he was like that in 66 or 65 with the cage. Yeah. In Discovery, relationships are much more part of the show. And so we get to see, we, we don't, we may not see Pike act that way around other people, but when he's with, he's just himself in the ready room and Venus shows up, we see how he really feels about it. And I'm going to love talking about that next week. Oh, same here. Yeah. Um, I, I think that uh, Susan Oliver really is what makes the cage work mm-hmm. because she is fantastic in every scene she's in. Um, she, she, I get the sense from her that, that she is she she is a tortured soul, and not because the Talosians have been mean to her, but because she knows that everything around her is not real. Mm-hmm. She knows that her 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 appearance is not real. She knows that anything that they try to do to make her happy is not real. And and in a way that makes me think of this is, is going to be a stretch, and I freely admit this: the season two episode of TNG, the Royale, and that astronaut who was there. And died there. Oh, um, wow, that's a deep cut. But the people there, those aliens tried to create a world that would work for him based mm-hmm. on what they had available. And if you think about it, the Talosians really do kind of the same thing for Vina. Yeah. They just, uh, they're better at it. I don't think that's a stretch at all, man. I think that's right on. Huh. Well, uh, which is, which is, which is in and of itself amazing that you're able to think of it, but also true. It's true. I'm not a huge fan of the Royale. I haven't watched it in a long time, and I probably would have a better appreciation for it. But no, I like where you're coming from. I also got to say to what you said a minute ago, Susan Oliver just really does such a great job as Vina. There are a couple of things about her that are hypnotic to me. Oh yeah, as a fan of the scene, her voice, even though I think it's overdubbed in a lot of places in this episode. Um, you kind of the, the it's it, it's off a little bit from the from the screen what you're seeing with her mouth. Mm. Her voice is fantastic, and her eyes are are just unbelievable. And I gotta say, I think she is far more beautiful and attractive and convincing as Vina than she is as an Orion because an Orion is supposed to be the hypnotic sexual yeah. blah blah blah. There's that one scene. Um, where she, where after Pike runs out of the room and is back in the cage and she shows up with the torch and she's kind of holding it out in front of her and they show her, I can't stand that look of her. No, I totally get it. Um, yeah. I, you, the first time I saw the cage, I didn't put together that the green girl was also Vina until Pike mm-hmm. said it later. Oh, I'm like, okay. oh, wait, that's her. Oh, yeah. Um, but you're right. I, I have to agree with everything you just said there because um, meh. I, I don't think it's the best treatment of Vina. They made her an object right. in that scene. Yep. And I think that's why it doesn't work for me because before they wanted her and Pike to be essentially partners. Right. They wanted them to to spawn a race of of people to do their bidding on, on the planet surface. Mm-hmm. And um she just Vina Vina just doesn't strike me that way. No, I, I totally agree. 
um, oh, yeah. her the the innocence in her, even though it's she's not innocent at this moment, but we don't know what's going on yet. Yeah. But the innocence in her voice when she had just been, you know, uh, when the guy says, "Don't worry about her, Captain. She's grown up with aging scientists," um, and her voice is so upbeat and lifting, and come over, let's show, let me show you that. And I I love the innocence in her in that scene, and then it just goes away in a second when she's like, "You're the perfect specimen," and then then everything goes you know, to hell in a handbasket and the Telosians show up and squirt them with that orange gas. And and then it all starts from there, baby. That really fake orange gas. That's a terrible <laughs> special effect. <laughs> um, that whole scene is very clunky. It is. It, it doesn't move well. You're right. She turns on a dime. Yep. Um, and honestly, it, okay, let's say I'm part of a Starfleet crew that discovers this group of survivors on this barren planet that looks like a quarry. The first question I'm going to ask myself is, What's this young chick doing with 30 old guys? <laughs> That's the other thing. Stay on that point because I want you to get right back to it. But yeah. one of the f- most strange lines in the history of Star Trek. This is Vina. Her parents are dead. What the heck kind of introduction is that? <laughs> okay, go ahead. Anyway, continue. <laughs> no, that's that's perfect because that, it, it, it shows to me that well, it, it reiterates for me the fact that Star Trek was only successful um, it, when it became a series because there were other people contributing to what Gene wanted to do. The Gene Coons, the Dorothy Fontanas, mm-hmm. the David Geralds of the world, and others, and many others. Yeah. You know, the creatives, the the people behind the scenes, the crew, the directors, the lighting, you know, everybody. They worked to make that series actually gel. And you can tell here there are some very, very rough spots. And I get why NBC said, yeah, we'll pass. Yeah. I still don't get why they said, well, we'll give you another shot. Because if I had watched this, honestly, as part of that group, I would have said, yeah, no. We're not spending any more money on this. Mm-hmm. Which, and at the time, it was the most expensive hour of television ever made. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I, I think that it's hard to like Pike. In this episode. And for years, I didn't like Chris Pike Mm -hmm. because he's angry. He's brooding. He's, he's a guy who just, his heart isn't in it. He's not the, he's not the hero, you know, or at least he doesn't want to be the hero anymore. Um, And it wasn't until Star Trek 2009 that we got an iteration of Pike that I actually liked him. Oh yeah. Greenwood's awesome. Um, And then, we got a, a version of Pike that I love and would follow anywhere in Anson Mount. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see the genesis of this character over 55 years. You know, the joke is it's the longest pilot to series order ever, you know, when Star Trek St- Strange New World starts up. But um, I, I feel like the Pike we see in the cage is kind of the Pike we see in Discovery, but not really. No. Yeah, I agree. I see. I think I look at it this way. Cage Pike is a loner. Mm. Kelvin Pike is a father figure. Yeah. Discovery Pike is a true crew loving captain. So you got to wonder what has gone on with Pike from the time of the cage to the time of season two of Discovery. Because there is change. There's definite change in, in his outlook on things. Was it the war? Was it the fact that he was left out of the war, uh, which he was really pissed about, 
but then came to realize why, and that helped him along. I don't know. Honestly, I think it's Vina. Okay. I think um, I think by the time you get to the end of the cage, Pike is the Pike he's supposed to have been. That's a quick turnaround, though, huh? Well, but it's quick like everything else in this hour yeah. of TV, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. from everything to his capture to, you know, him realizing that he's got to hate these people in order to um, get an upper hand. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got to demonstrate all this hate and anger, which really is kind of unsettling. Um, yeah. But I think that it's it's leaving Vina at the end that kind of snaps Pike back to being Pike. At least that's the way I see it because it explains his reaction and if memory serves. I like that. I, I like that. I, I like that um, explanation a lot. One of the things I found interesting about the cage, and I'm going to talk about the menagerie for a second, is at the very end of the menagerie, when Pike is in the chair and the view screens up and they're going to bring Pike to the planet so he can be with Vina. So Spock says, thank you, sir, from both of us. And they leave the room. And like a half a second later, the Telosian says, Captain Kirk, and shows on the screen Pike and Vina going up the cliff or up the up the stairway of the stones, which is kind of strange in itself, and, and happy together. It's the fastest transport in the history of science, probably. But I loved in the full version of the cage, when that scene takes place, they actually have two pikes on screen, the real pike and the illusion pike that the Telosians created for Vina to go live her life with. I thought that was a great moment in the, in the full version of the cage. It really is. And it, it says something to Pike too. Um, I, I think that it helps him realize that um, the Telosians aren't just zookeepers. They really do care. And I think that really comes out at the end of the episode. And I think that we get that mutual understanding that's a little more bonk, bonk on the head in the rest of Star Trek, but is really kind of um, sublime in this one. You know, they the Telosians didn't realize that humans didn't like being um, put in a zoo. We right. didn't like being captured or confinement and that we'd rather die than be that way. And the Telosians mm-hmm. didn't understand that. And once that understanding is unlocked, everybody is able to agree and, and it's peaceful. Right. And I think that more could have been done to draw that out. But I think that Pike realizes in that moment that, yep, that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. That I'm here to create this understanding. This is why I'm a Starfleet captain. This is why I'm with 203 people exploring the galaxy. Um, this is what makes things like Rigel, um, uh, you know, in my rear view mirror, because mm-hmm. I'm here to do this. Yep. No, I like that. Um, you said a second ago or, or a minute ago, um, zookeepers. Yeah. One of the things that I liked about the full version of the cage is we got to see other parts of the zoo that are not in the menagerie. We got to see, although we see the ape creature when Pike is is strangling the Telosian and 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 he changes into a, a creature. We get to see it in a cage, and then we get to see that bird thing, which is kind of <laughs> interesting. And then we only see the shadow of some kind of giant crab claw monster, um, yeah. which really makes you wonder what else was in that cage. And I'm glad that they do that in this version because you only see Pike in Menagerie in any type of cell or cage. So I like how they showed it. And I think the bird guy is hysterical. I just love I love that bird guy. I wish we saw him more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed that they got the budget to create that suit. You want to know why it's the most expensive pilot in history? It's that damn bird suit. <laughs> exactly that and the bulging veins and the Telosian heads. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you know, when he starts choking the Telosian, um, they turn into the, 
the, the ugly animal thing. Um, I think of the Gamorrean guard from Return of the Jedi every single time. <laughs> I think of Mugatu without as much hair. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> yeah. um, I think that, I think the reason that that Pike is able to go on is because um, really, in a sense, a part of him is left behind with Vina. And I mean that metaphorically, not mm-hmm. necessarily in the illusory sense. And I think that he takes part of her with him. Um, and I think it's changed him. I think it's it's made him the Chris Pike that ultimately we come to know and respect. And I think it is why he's one of Starfleet's greatest captains. Um, I, I, I don't think that um, Jim Kirk would have handled this quite the same way. <laughs> yeah. um, no. 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 No, I don't think so. But you're, you're absolutely right with what you say. And since you said it, it makes perfect sense because I was questioning how it could have happened so fast. Yeah. By, but with what you're saying, I, I, I really like, I like that explanation, man. I'm, I'm going to give you a gold star right for your forehead. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. There are, um, there's a lot in this episode. Um, and some of it's great and some of it's not so great. And, but I think it's definitely worth the time for people to go back and watch it, um, as it was intended to be seen, um, you know, cause it, it could have been the pilot for this franchise and, and sort of try to watch it with fresh eyes. And if you haven't watched Star Trek Discovery, now's a great time to start because by the time you get to season two, you're going to, you're going to want to see a little more about Pike, but if you watch it only just to watch that one episode of memory serves, which we're going to talk about next week, I think it's going to, I think it's going to bring a lot of Pike and Vina into context across those two yeah. episodes. And like I said, 55 years. That's a long time. It's a long time. You know, there's also, and I, I've, I've been trying to find them right now as we, as you've been talking. And unfortunately I don't have them off the top of my head. I can put them in uh, put them on Facebook and Twitter or whatnot, but there are some great, Pike novels as well. You know, everybody knows I love talking about the the Star Trek novels. There's a couple. I I think Michael Jan Friedman wrote one of them, if I remember correctly. But it's a story that takes place um, uh, in this time frame. Um, The Talosians are in it, and and Pike uh, and Spock. It's really great. Um, I'll have to. I'll I'll try to find. Maybe I can find the name of it before we uh, stop recording tonight. But it's. I really recommend it if you want a good Captain Pike story. Well, okay. So yeah. there you have it. Um, it. It's interesting to me, um, and we hadn't talked about this aspect before, but imagine that NBC says yes to Star Trek based on this episode and it becomes a series. Um, knowing that some of the roles likely would have been recast, mm-hmm. um, like the Doctor, probably like number one, um, and some of the other players, do you think that we'd still have Star Trek today if this version of Star Trek had been the franchise. Nope. Yeah, I don't uh-uh. either. I don't either. I mean, I, I, I think not at all. I, I don't think it would have lasted. Um, I mean, I mean, you know, TOS only lasted three seasons before, you know, the fans and everything like that. I don't even know if it would have lasted that long. I, I really don't. I can't see it. Yeah. I think yep. that the casting on what became Star Trek was really the glue that that held the rest of the series together. Yep. They got the people like D. Kelly, like like Bill Shatner, like Jimmy Dewan, like Nichelle Nichols and Grace Lee Whitney and all of those other people. And the chemistry was evident on screen. And I think that's where the cage lacks. Mm-hmm. Aside from Pike and Vina, there is literally no chemistry. 
No, none. I do like I do like the doctor. He reminds me of McCoy a little bit, but he's not. But you're right. There's no chemistry, even in the scene in the captain's quarters. There's really no chemistry between Pike and the Doctor. Um, so I, I agree with you. By the way, the name of that book is Legacy by Michael Jan Friedman. If you want a good Captain Pike story, that's it. And I gotta say, John Hoyt acts his ass off in that scene. With he Jeff does. Parker. He really does. Yeah, he is fantastic in that scene where he pours the martini. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a great establishment of that relationship between Pike and Boyce. Um, I really do like that context, even if, um, I think that, that John Hoyt was really wasted in that episode. Yeah. He was good at the very end of the episode when they were talking on the bridge about the fact that Pike actually got to go home, which I thought was a funny line. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you can see that you, you actually get to see a bit of that friendship in that scene, um, that we're used to seeing with Kirk and Spock because we really don't see it. Uh, in that other scene in in uh, Pike's quarters. The other thing that works for me is that guy with the pointed ears who looks kind of like the devil. Spack? Yeah, Spack. Yeah. Um, Lieutenant Spack. Yep. He was he was okay. I think he's going to go somewhere. He's pretty good. He was uh, okay. Right. A chance we might see him again. I'm not too sure though. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I uh <laughs> I had a train of thought. Now it's just it's it's left the station and I'm not Bye-bye. <laughs> um it, it's interesting to see what would happen with casting in strange new worlds and which characters may come back. There's a, um, there's a swath of fans online that would love to see Jeffrey Combs play Dr. Boyce. Mm -hmm. I say Boyce is probably retired because Boyce was an old man during the cage. Yep. I think they'll probably want to get somebody closer to Anson Mount's age. Um, and maybe even a woman who knows. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be fantastic because there's a lot of uh, Caucasian people in this show right now. True. As it stands. I, I, would, I would like to say one thing. So all you CBS executives and writers and directors and decision makers that might be listening to the Trek Geeks uh, podcast all right of now. Them. All of them. Please cast Jeffrey Combs somewhere. <laughs> Love him. He's awesome. And he is wise. <laughs> I'll take Jeff Combs. I'd love to see him as a Starfleet Admiral. Anything. Yeah. Because you know how yeah. Discovery had Cornwell for, for quite a number mm-hmm. of episodes? I'd love to see him be the new Cornwell. That would be good. Yeah. Uh, or that like role. That. You know? Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would love to see Jeff Combs anywhere in Star Trek. Absolutely. Um, that would be amazing. So we have a lot to think about as we carry this discussion on Chris Pike and how he relates to Vena forward in the next week, if memory serves. Yeah. A Discovery, not an episodic show. Nope. So there's a lot that's going on in the scope of Star Trek Discovery, which we'll kind of talk about a little bit next week. Mm-hmm. Um, not to spoil, but to kind of give people kind of a sense of where the season was when this episode right. happened. Yeah. But there's a lot of things that we can talk about specific to Pike and Vina that doesn't really tie to what's going on in the episode at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm interested... Uh, one of the things I, I want to know about, and I don't know if the if the book you mentioned covers this. Um, maybe that's a you know that's a great deep dive for for us at some point. Is what kind of reality do they create for Pike and Vina? Well, it's interesting that you say that because if memory serves, <laughs> you jerk. Um, there are there are scenes where they are together and she is looks. Like she does for most of the episode in the cage. He's not in his chair. He's, you know, he's the pike that we see in the cage and they're living their life together. 
And he, for some reason, starts remembering about a mission that he was on, which has ties to the story that's going on outside of Talos. Interesting. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good read. It really is. I've read it. I've read that one quite a few times. I think I've read it like three or four times. Hmm. Yeah. But, you know, at, at various points in the cage, you know, you see Pike back in Mojave. Yeah. You see him on that pleasure planet. It makes me mm-hmm. wonder what, what their ideal... I want to use reality, but it's not reality. What their ideal reality would have been together. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to, I, maybe I'll reread it soon again. I haven't read it for a couple of years, but it's something mm. that I definitely could read again. It's that good. Now, the story itself, there is a Kirk Spock story going on, but a lot of it ties back to there's a lot of Pike in it. Another one is The Rift by Peter David. There's some uh, interesting Pike scenes in that one, too. Well, good to know. Um, go. So, yeah, if you haven't watched The Cage in a long time, like Dan hadn't, um, go mm. back and watch the cage because it's really kind of interesting. It makes yeah. you think about a lot of the things you see in Star Trek even today. And um, it makes you wonder what this franchise could have possibly been. Uh, mm-hmm. But more importantly, I think it gives us a really interesting insight into Chris Pike and what his experience with Vina did to him and for him, honestly. Absolutely. Totally agree. Um, and, I'll tell you what, I've said it like three times already. I'm now going to go forward with in my mind what you said about the change in Pike and the reason. I think that I think that really – that stands out as the best moment of this here podcast today was that realization and that uh, that um, discussion and uh, observation that you made. Well, we're going to carry that thread forward into next week when we talk about if memory serves here on the flagship. Um, and I'm looking forward to that one just like you are because uh, it's really kind of nice to have that, that bookend – yeah, to absolutely. their experience. It makes me wonder if we'll see Vina again, again. The women! <laughs> <laughs> Dan, you know what I want to talk about now? Hmm, That's I think the I band! <laughs> the band Five Year Mission. Um, they, those five guys were amazing. They do such great stuff with their original songs on their albums, all of which celebrate Star Trek. Um, one song for each episode. It's not that... It's not that surprising. And, and mm-hmm. these, these songs are not parody. We talk about this all the time. These songs make you look at these classic Star Trek episodes in a completely different way and from different perspectives. And that's really the reason why I love their music. So we want everyone to head out fiveyearmission.net, order all their CDs, get them shipped to you. They'll send them to you as quickly as they can. And before you know it, you will have their mellifluous tones and songs mm. ringing through your ears Listen and you. you will love it. Fiveyearmission.net. Yeah, we, we love them. You know, before I get to my normal discussion at this part of the show, I just want to ask you a question. It is October. It is a month of Halloween. Isn't one of their videos, I forget which song it is, but like Fark plays everybody. Isn't he like every part of the band? He's everyone. He's, so there's like five or six of him on stage at once. Do you recall that? I'm recalling something like that. I'm um All I was going to say is that you could scary be drunk, in itself. But I'll have to look. That, that is up. scary. You're probably right. Yeah. Um I haven't I've seen some of the videos but not all. It's been a while since I've seen the videos because I've got so much old Star Trek to watch which has this kind of weird twist on things and especially the one I'm going to talk about right now, man. I bet. I, I'm sorry, especially. I can't stand what people say especially, but anyway. Um I got to tell you the episode Wolf in the Fold. Huh? You know, you know, Scotty gets himself into some serious trouble on Argelius, didn't he? Didn't he? As he would say. He did. Uh, he, he did. You know, heading out to all those seedy bars to listen to the 
band play and watching those women dance and Jack the Ripper running around killing women and Scotty looks like the ones committing the murders. Man, uh, Mr. Hengist looks like he wants to throw the book at Scotty. But luckily, the ruler of Argelius has a more open mind. Oh, that is until, of course, his wife Sibo's murdered. Then it looks like all bets are off. But can you honestly, Bill, can you blame the guy? He just lost his wife. And then he was taken over by the murderous entered entity. You remember that? No, no, kill you all, die, make you suffer. Great line. I speak, of course, of Prefark Jarus of Argelius II. Wow. Am I making you suffer? Die, die, kill you all, make you suffer. Yeah. <laughs> Prefark Jarus. Yeah. The rule of Argelius is Fark. Don't forget, you too can support the Trek Geeks Podcast <laughs> Network by subscribing to all kinds of special exclusive perks. There's uh, there's laptop stickers, there's t-shirts, there's uh, our unparalleled annual supporters pin, which we produce with our friends at Fansets every year, Dan. That's a lot of stuff. I love it. Uh, we want to take a moment right now, though, to thank our associate producers of Trek Geeks. We are just so grateful for their support. So thank you to Dave Andrews, Vikram Bhatt, Luke Burnham. Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Brandon Everidge, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Brooke Horton, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Rick Mason, Jamie McGregor, Aaron Mollenkoff, Shane Murray, Tim Robertson, Greg Rozier, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Serdar, Heather Sohn, Lisa Tomlinson, Jessica Dax Vincent, Trey Womack, Ron Robell, and Conrad Hutchins. What? No, and the lovely and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. You didn't, <laughs> I just wanted to see what would happen. <laughs> wow. He, he's probably just passed out right now. <laughs> I, I almost passed out. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Ken Bird, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Rachel Delaney, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Steph Lescue, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Jim McMahon, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, Casey Shafsky, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, <sighs> Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Vashon. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Network, and it is so easy to do. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. Dan, next week, as we've said a couple of times, our discussion about Captain Pike and Vina and the cage continues, sort of. Yeah, absolutely. Who would have ever thought that 50 plus years ago? or 50-plus years from then, we would have a return to Talos Four and singing Blue Plants and Talosians and Pike and Vina, and the list goes on and on. Oh, my God, I'm so excited. Well, it happened just last year, and next week we're going to deep dive into part two of this discussion with the Discovery Season 2 episode, If Memory Serves. Next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Star Trek Podcast Network. I said that wrong. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to do it again. Next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. That was so pitiful. I'm just going to leave it in. For even more great Star Trek discussion, please check out the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, <laughs> Daniel. In addition to Rewind, Polytrex, Five-Year Mission, Discovering Trek, and all the others, you can also hear the brand new Infinite Trek with Aaron Harvey and Brandy Jackal every Tuesday. And plus, you can hear the brand new Deep Space Pride with Mike and Johnson every Friday. You can find awesome. all of our podcasts, including where to listen by visiting trekgeeks.com slash 
listen. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network, no one talks Trek like we do. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 234 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. The Coconut! I think you've used that one before. Have I? Yeah. Oh, we're going to have to do a Christmas special of all the coconuts now. No, we're not. (laughs) Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Bing bong. <laughs> I didn't expect that. Bing bong. I'll be all the energy today. How you doing, buddy? It's good to see you. It's good to see you. What's going on? How are you? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to be. I'm just wiped. I, 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 you know what? I feel the exact same way as you, but sometimes, you know, you've picked me up and I'm going to pick you up. I, I don't know what to say to that. A lot of silence in between. A lot of silence. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of silence. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I just, I've, I, I have not slept well. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm trying some anti-snoring remedies, ah. which have some, you know, uh, some ramp up time. Mm-hmm. They're not like overnight things. No. Um, and then at 5.30 in the morning, the other morning, the, uh, the condo which with which we share a wall uh, on our master bedroom started blaring the TV on their side at about 530. Oh, my um, God. And, of course, I'm a light sleeper. Yeah. Um, and I heard it mm-hmm. through the wall. We get up at six. Yeah. But that so half was, hour is precious. I was thrilled. Yeah. I'm sure you were. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, been some rough days. Yeah. I uh, I would love a nap right about mm, now. No. Okay, well, you, you can, you know, once I start talking, you can doze right off. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I mean, that's why, you know, that's why we're we're a little late this week is because we've had a week. We've it's, had a week. It's been crazy. But you know what? Here we are because we love our listeners. I, nothing about each other. I don't really give a <laughs> but uh, – <clears throat> Hey. Listeners, <laughs> let's, let's not try to create things that make me have to edit because we're late. I know that's why. As soon as I said it, I tried to trail it off, but I really couldn't that well. Write uh, down one thirty eight. One thirty eight. I got it going right here. <laughs> Sorry about that. A little bleepage. That's right. We're not at the Patreon feed right now, are we? No, no, no we're not. I'm used to that at the beginning of discovering track. So, <sighs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, let's not make me work any harder than I have to. Oh, God forbid. All right. Speaking of working harder. Mm. Um, and not smarter. Is the NFL going to shut this thing down? I know we don't talk about sports all that much here, but we got you know might as well bring it up because this is a joke. The only time we talk about sports is when, when the Patriots I... are winning and in the, in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I was going to say in the World Series, but yeah. that's not it. No, no. Um, because we love to gloat. 
as Boston's I, I'm not fans. a gloater. I will. I've never been one to gloat. I do like being proud of my team, <laughs> but I've 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 never like rubbed it in people's face. I don't. I don't do that. I I maybe occasionally have given Morehouse a problem because of the Raiders because they're the Raiders. <laughs> there are times in the outtake where we've gloated. Have we? Yeah, I we must have. have had a couple drinks. I apologize. <laughs> you? Yeah. So, by the way, hold on one second. What you drinking? Ah, margarita. <laughs> Big one. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Yes. I think you could. Yeah, that, that drink looks like it actually has its own undertow. <laughs> Every once in a while, I, I pull a, an extra large. I, I go biggie, as they would say at Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> you go biggie. But I haven't had a margarita in, oh, God, a few weeks because I ran out of the I – I home make my um, mix with – I fresh squeeze – lemons and limes and oranges and then i cook it with sugar and burn it down or cook it down and then put it in a container in the mm. fridge i haven't had it for like the longest time and so i finally made some this past weekend and i'm loving it see i i have a hard time with sour mix like that's why I, that's a why restaurant I, yeah that's why i do it myself yep. yeah yeah I, I, I like a i like an actual you know like just give me the limes give mm-hmm. me the tequila mm-hmm. um because sour mix just upsets my stomach yes yep absolutely so. yep so so yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm drinking water. That's good. That's water's good. Yeah, you know? and then you know, water, vodka. Nobody can tell. That's because these days I literally drink nothing but coffee. And yeah, you you given you sent me a couple of messages uh, heading to Dunks. I'm like, and usually I'm thinking the office. You're going downstairs, da, da, da. but oh yeah, no, you got to drive there. <laughs> you do. Yeah. And honestly, if it weren't for Dunk Dunks, I wouldn't be getting out of the house at all. Yeah. Um. So I I do the Dunks run really just to provide myself some. A uh, respite, mm. um, some contact, even though it's fleeting. Yeah, because um, that, that's that's really it. Because I literally do not go anywhere else. Time to make the coffee. Oof. <laughs> and I've learned mm. that uh, Dunkin' Donuts. And I guess they're just called Dunkin's now. Dunkin's and I can't get yeah. behind that. They're Dunkin' Donuts. Da 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 da. Dunkin' Donuts. Thank you. <laughs> um, I've learned. That they're, they call them stores. I'm going to call them restaurants for want of a better word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> could you write that down? Yep. 155. <laughs> Sorry. Hmm. Okay. Have an A, B, and C crew. Uh, yeah. The A team works like 5 a.m. To, to, to 1 or 6 mm-hmm. to 2. And the coffee's always fantastic. Perfect. The B team kind of works the mid-shift from mid-morning to mid-afternoon. You go any later than, say, 3 o'clock, Burnt. and you are getting the C team yep. that can't figure out two Splenda. Yeah. Um, and and more often than not, I wind up getting sugar, and it's like, no, I said Splenda. Yeah. I, I You know, I, and I said this to Sue, and I don't want to talk down anybody. They have to work just like everybody else works. But you know yep. what? Listening is not the hardest thing in the world to do with a job like that. Huh? So when you say coffee, cream, and two Splenda, yeah. that's what you should get. It's even worse when you put it, we create a mobile order that they get on a yes. screen. Print out. And yep. it prints out a sticker to put on your cup. Mm-hmm. If they F that up, I mean, yeah. it's no child left behind is what it is. We stopped on Saturday morning or Sunday morning. We were taking the dogs for a ride and we always get iced coffee. And then we I get them two munchkins. I went in, I walked in, I had my mask on, walked in because the line for the cars was like 20 deep and there was nobody in line inside. And now I know why. There was a guy behind the counter 
And I said, I need an ice, ice raspberry with cream and one sugar. I had to repeat everything twice. Iced coffee, raspberry flavor, cream, one sugar. Then I had to do the exact same thing with my coconut iced coffee, which I know you'd appreciate. Ooh. Then I asked for two glazed munchkins. He couldn't find them. I'm like, dude, bottom right. They're right there. So what does he do? He goes into the bottom middle oh and gives me six of whatever he pulled out of there. <laughs> so the dogs were happy and he doesn't know how to listen. <laughs> I can only hope that Adam, the intern, is taking copious notes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Can I say that nobody responds on Twitter faster? Nobody. Likes things or retweets things. Seconds. Adam, the intern. Seconds. Like, I will barely click click tweet. Mm-hmm. And it's within, like you said, seconds yep. that it's liked and, and more often than not shared. Yep. I, I just got to say, speaking of Twitter, I was so proud today to be going through my Twitter feed right before I came up so that we could record this here podcast to see that the wonderful, illustrious, highly intelligent, handsome, and wonderful Mr. JVC, Mr. Van Sitters, threw a your face comment in one of your the tweets to you. I thought that was beautiful. I almost tormented him over the weekend with photos of real New Hampshire maple syrup, <laughs> which is better than that Drek from Vermont. Drek. Um, and I decided not to. I decided I was going to be the bigger person. Um, yeah, those rules are being waived this weekend. <laughs> okay. Speaking of maple syrup, here's something you might appreciate. But since we're having that maple syrup discussion for my birthday, my mother-in-law sent me a box too deep of those maple like they're like it's they're not solid but they're like kind of like a it's maple they're maple the shapes of leaves and they're like candy yeah, they're yeah. Little, but they're not hard candy they're like soft candy it's like sugary oh my god they're so good <laughs> <laughs> do, do you need a moment alone they're so good they're so good <laughs> it, it's so good it's so good you not a bullet it's so good it's that like was it. scary. <laughs> you saw what my wife got me for a surprise, didn't you? Was it the, the Lego uh, Iron yes. Man helmet? I saw you post it on uh, on Twitter or Facebook or one of those things. They're That's pretty them. awesome. Yeah, you yeah, are I did a that Lego machine. I have, I have in my adult life because I didn't have Legos growing up. Mm-hmm. And they were expensive then. No, yep. but um, and I couldn't. I can't build things from scratch. I need the instructions. Right. Oh, I'm yes, not, me too. I'm not yep. that good. Um, I have bought more Legos as an adult than I ever imagined I would. Yeah. They bring me joy. And nothing against the company that did the Enterprise because the Enterprise one is awesome. And it's I love it. It's the best non-Lego set I've ever yep, done. Yep, it is. Fantastic. If Lego could get the Star Trek license, Lego would earn, would make hundreds of thousands of dollars off of me because the stuff that they do with Star Wars, I'd be buying all the stuff in Star Trek. All the little things, all the big things. Yep. Everything, yeah. I'd have my, I'd have a whole room that would be Lego. I would love a lower decks Lego set. Cerritos, yeah, yeah. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe I, I got that wrong last week. That's so aggravating. <laughs> <laughs> That's been bugging me for like a week because <laughs> I went you too went fast. fast. Yep, went I'm like fast. I saw the seven Voyager. Oh, I'm surprised you didn't say Defiant because Defiant also starts with a seven. Yeah, but I know that one. I know the the, the four two five like instantly in my head. Um, four two zero five. Four two zero five. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So, but I saw the seven and just instantly wanted to get it out there. Boom. The defiant registry number was my license plate. For yes, it many was. Years. I know. 
And I remember it. Remember seeing it the first time. I think at uh, where we used to work together, you pulled in the the parking lot with it, and I was like, "No, it would have been much after, long after that." Maybe I vis- I saw it somewhere, and you still think, had it. I think it was when we went to a uh, truck boss. Oh, okay. That, maybe that's what it was. Um, that seems like a thousand years ago. Anyway, it doesn't it though? Uh, it's only six years. Oh, it's only. It's like that's like forty two dog years. Your face is like 42 dollars. <laughs> there we go. Long and sad. It only and took 10 minutes. <laughs> old. Hey, if 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 a vice president with CBS can drop your face, I, I at least get free reign. Yes. On no, my own made my podcast. Day. Made my day. Justify. So, Jettison your face was what it was. Yeah. It was, yeah. Yep. I, I've been doing a complete yeah. franchise rewatch. Whew. And... I um I watched it a couple during lunch today, and then I, I knew knowing my wife was going to be late today, I queued up some more, and uh, I made it to a court martial. Mm-hmm. And of course, he was referencing the Jettison Pod. Yes, um, but uh, I'm only 25 episodes into <laughs> 800 hours of you television. Got, you got a ways to go. But it occurs to me I'm also going to have to go through like um, the animated series, which I've 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 developed an appreciation for, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to rewatch Generations. And other things that I can't stand. So, <laughs> but hey, that's it's what Star Trek watches are for. No, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's Star Trek. But if there was one that, if I was allowed to pick one I could never watch again, hmm. it would be Generations. Okay. But f- time is the fire in which we burn. Oh, I would love to burn every print of that movie <laughs> in a fire. <laughs> this is, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yow, yowza. Yeah, Patreon's gonna love this one. <laughs> Lovely. I, yes, I am I am uh infrequently um tagged in comments about generations. Uh because yes, because you yes, because people will do that. Um, it's like it's like And it's when, all very good natured and yep. all good sport. It's like uh, how people tag you now with or, or say things about some things being not dangerous because you told everybody how much you hated it, now you get inundated with it. Um we told everyone how I tried to get rid of it. <laughs> and then we had a sponsor that loved it. Yes. <laughs> so now so we I blame all you. It. Yeah. I blame you, not them. <laughs> That's okay. All right. Hey, you know what? It'll all be worth it if I do a Cyrano Jones uh, cosplay someday. See, in my headcanon, Cyrano Jones gets murdered violently. Oh, wow. Um, by you know an upstanding Starfleet officer. And it's justified. Um, because of the threat that Tribbles pose to the yes. Federation. Overpopulation, crustacean. Yeah. So I just want to say, if you ever uh, cosplay Sierra Jones, one, I can't wait to see the wig you'd have to wear to do that. That oh, would be I know, amazing. really. Good Lord. You should do Harry Mudd instead. <laughs> um, I know that you're going to be assassinated like Julius Caesar. Oh, at two, Cyrano? Oh, I hate you so much. <laughs> I effing hate you. Love you too. All right. Okay. You ready to do this there? Yeah. Let's let's talk some. Uh, let's let's talk let's get about cagey. Cage. Ah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>